All right, good day and welcome to our Bible study again today. Today we'll be finishing up Matthew 22. We'll be covering verses 34 through 46. And today's lesson is on the greatest commandment. Kind of reviewing back a couple of weeks. If you remember, Jesus, everywhere he goes, there's a following with people. So the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we had said there's a difference between the two. The Pharisees and the Sadducees both knew the first, our first five books in the Bible, which they called the Tanakh, the old Hebrew Bible. They knew that inside and out. But the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the Pharisees believed in the resurrection because they also studied the prophets. So they studied our Old Testament, basically, is what they had, and they believed in it. The Sadducees, on the other hand, they just studied the first five books of our Bible. They didn't believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees had failed to tell them or show them in the old Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, where it talked about the resurrection. So what we've seen the last couple of weeks is that these two religious groups really didn't like each other, but they was teaming up together with the Herodians. Now the Herodians were Jewish people that worked for the Roman government, so they were considered traitors. The Herodians... If you remember back two weeks ago from our lesson, they believed in the Roman tax. In other words, Rome would tax the nation of Israel in order for them to, to have their army um, pretty much rule over the land of Israel. So the, so the Jews were paying this tax for an opposing army to keep them enslaved. So the Pharisees really hated the tax. The Sadducees didn't like the tax, but the Herodians, because they worked for the Roman government, they supported the tax. So the Pharisees, we seen two weeks ago, teamed up with the Herodians. They tried to trap Jesus, right? And they come to him and give him a denarius because they want him to say the wrong things. And we see that Jesus, after he gets the coin, he says, who is this? They say Caesar. And Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar, but give to God what is God, right? In other words... The only time you rebel against the government or an emperor or somebody in charge is when his commands come in conflict with God's commands. You always obey God's commands, right? So we've seen that when Jesus told them that, give to Caesar what is Caesar, but give to God what is God, they have nothing to say and they walk away. So the Sadducees hearing this, now they come to Jesus in last week's lesson and they say, we're going to trick them on the resurrection, right? Because I'm going to ask them a question on the resurrection because the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. So they come to Jesus and they ask about the resurrection. But Jesus, just like he did the previous week before, what he did with the Sadducees and the Herodians, he did the same thing with the Sadducees. And what he did was he quieted them down because he showed them in scripture about the resurrection and he quoted in the book of Deuteronomy, right, where, where God said, I am the Lord, your God, the God, your father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus went on to say that he is the God of the living, present tense, meaning if God, if they would be dead, in other words, if they wouldn't be resurrected, then God wouldn't say this. God wouldn't have said that in the Bible, right? So pretty much what happened was the Sadducees didn't have nothing to say, so they walked off. But the Pharisees are not going to give up that easy, right? They want to try to entrap Jesus and to have him say something that's going to get him eventually arrested 
eventually beaten and eventually killed. And you say, why? And the question of, of that answer is because Jesus spoke the truth of God. He spoke the word of God. He didn't preach what they were wanted to hear. He didn't say what they wanted him to say, right? I mean, Jesus turned around. Any, any question they had, Jesus turned around and quoted scripture. He quoted the word of God, right? And, and they didn't like that. They didn't want the truth. And remember this. The Pharisees, they believed in the Torah, but they also made their own laws called the law of the elders, which means they took man-made laws that they made and they fit it into scripture. So they kind of turned scripture around where it can be related to their man-made laws, right? Why? So it can benefit them. So in today's lesson, you're going to see the Pharisees come back to Jesus, but they come back to Jesus with a very important person with them. And that person is a rabbi. He's a specialty in the law of Moses. And he's going to come and he's going to ask Jesus a question in order to test him, in order to trip him up. So with that being said, open up your Bibles to Matthew 22, verses 34 through 46. And let's begin with verse 34. Verse 34 says this. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Pharisees, that mean the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. So what we see here is that they seen that Jesus had an answer what the Sadducees had said. So the Pharisees, not giving up, they're committed to entrap Jesus. They're going to gather together and they're going to come up with another game plan. And that game plan is to do what? To get their scholar, so to speak, their rabbi, their most important teacher, to come to Jesus and ask him a question in order for Jesus to say the wrong answer. And again, you might say, why? Because Jesus did not say and teach the way they wanted, right? These were pretty much control freaks. They were spiritual leaders for the nation of Israel. But Jesus over and over in our studies pointed out to the Pharisees how they were hypocrites, Right? They preach one thing and they say one thing, but yet they do another thing. Right? And in life, we come up, we meet a lot of people like that, some of us, right? That might tell you one thing and say one thing, but they live a totally different life. Especially these people here. There are spiritual leaders because anything they said, the nation of Israel did. Right? See, there was anointed. God anointed them to lead the nation of Israel in the right way, in the proper way. In other words, not only to believe in God, but you see, you can't believe in God without knowing Jesus. And that's what Jesus is telling them. And the Pharisees know the prophets. They understand what the prophets said because all the prophets pointed to the coming of the Messiah and all the miracles that he would do. That's why when Jesus came, Jesus performed all these miracles, right? But, but they didn't believe because Jesus had such a large following. They were so prideful, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, especially the Pharisees, that they, they tried to shut up Jesus. Because they were jealous, they were, he was teaching the truth, and they didn't want to hear the truth of God, right? So they're going to come, they're going to, they're going to devise a plan to get one of their best teachers to come to Jesus in order to entrap him. Verse 35, one of them, meaning the Pharisees, one of the Pharisees, one of them an expert in the law. Expert in the law simply means not a secular sense of practicing law like we know today. 
This is speaking about an expert in the law, meaning he was an expert in the law of Moses and the commandments of God, right? So we see that he's an expert in the law, but he also knows the traditions of the elders because he's a Pharisee, right? And he knows how these man-made rules should apply every day to their life, but also to the law. So we see in order to discredit Jesus, right? They're going to bring one of their own who's, who's a master, so to speak, in the law of Moses and the law of the elders. So this man's coming to Jesus and he's going to ask him a question in order to do what? To test him. Now, test here simply means in order for Jesus to fail. They wanted Jesus to say the wrong answer so they can have him arrested and eventually beaten and eventually crucified, which we know that they did because that was the will of God and Jesus knew this and Je Jesus took on the will of God and did the will and the purposes of our Father. Just like every day we should do the will and the purpose of our Father. Just like every day you should spend time opening your Bible in prayer, right? You should be asking Jesus, what do you want me to do for your kingdom today? What do you want me to do for your will and your purpose today, right? So we, we, we might think that these Pharisees would be glad, right, to see that the Sadducees were silenced, right? Because remember, the Pharisees can never point out to the Sadducees in the Old Tanakh where it talked about the resurrection, but Jesus showed them out in the book of Deuteronomy. So, so the, the question with which the Sadducees had also trapped them, right, over and over, Jesus had finally answered for them. But the Pharisees, they were too proud, right, to be impressed. And, and, and Jesus answered them with a theological victory over the Sadducees. But you see, they were more interested and trapping Jesus, and stopping Jesus, so to speak, having, having him arrested, beaten, and eventually put to death, then, then they were really more interested in learning about the truth of God and really who Jesus was, that he was that Messiah that the prophets had pointed to. Verse 36, Teacher, he said, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So he comes to Jesus and he asks this question in order to test him. And he wants to know which one is the greatest commandment according to the law. And Jesus replied in verse 37. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now mind here simply means every inch and every part of a person or one's body, so to speak. So notice what Jesus did. He quoted a scripture. Again, Jesus always answers by quoting what? Old Testament scripture. That's why it's important to know the Old Testament. People that say that the Old Testament doesn't conform with the New Testament does not know what they're speaking about in the Word of God. Because in order to understand the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels, you have to know the Old Testament. You have to know the Torah. You have to know the Tanakh, the first five books in our Bible, right? So Jesus right here quoted from the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 6, verse 5. And this is what Deuteronomy 6, 5 says. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, I want you to understand this. Jesus is speaking to Pharisees, Sadducees right here, or he's always speaking to his disciples who are what? Jews. So you got to put yourself in the place of a Jew. You have to look at it from a Jewish perspective, right? So in Jewish culture, every day, the Jews wake up in the morning and they pray. 
They pray midday and they pray in the evening. And they, and, and they say this right here. Oh, Lord God of Israel, we love you, Lord God. The God, we love you with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength, right? They say this prayer three times a day from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 5, right? So they say, which is the greatest commandment in verse 38? So, so he's, 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 Jesus is telling us, this right here is the greatest commandment of them all. So what he's saying is, this commandment, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Jesus is telling us that this commandment must be a priority of our life, right? And you see, if you're not interested in showing your love for Jesus, right, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with every inch of your body, right, then you aren't really a disciple of Jesus, you aren't really a servant of God. You aren't serious about that covenantal relationship that you was brought into, right? And I'm, I'm speaking about Jews and Gentiles. If you're speaking from a Jewish perspective, I'm talking about the law of Moses, right? That, that Mosianic covenant that God made with Moses at Mount Sinai when he gave him the law. If you're a Gentile, right, then I'm talking about the new covenant. The Abrahamic covenant that we studied in the book of Genesis in chapter 12. And I want to go to that right now. Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3 says this. The Lord had said to Abram, this was before Abraham changed his name. Remember, Abram was very, very wealthy at this time. Probably the Bible says the wealthiest man in the world at this time. Now, people in the world lived in the Middle East, right? It's not the world like we know it today. He just was focused in on the Middle East. And he was the most wealthiest man in the world. But he believed in God. He trusted God. And God told him, Abram, I want you to sell or move, leave your possessions here, and I want you to go to the land where, where I tell you. Now, Abram didn't know where he was going. But Abram such believed in God and trusted in God and he wanted to obey God that he packed up and he moved his family and he followed God and, and, and went wherever God told him to go. And in Genesis 12, 1 and 3, this is what God tells him. Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you I will curse. And this is what I want you to see. And all the peoples of the earth. Will be blessed. Through you. This is the Abrahamic covenant. Right? This is, this is what we follow. When Jesus came onto the scene. Now I want you to understand this. Jesus is always there with God from the very beginning. There was never a time that Jesus never existed, right? It's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And how do I know that? Because you can go to the first chapter in the book of Genesis and you can read it where it says that the Spirit hovered over the water. The Spirit meaning who? The Holy Spirit, right? So Jesus was always with God from the very beginning. 
And it's through Jesus. You see, the old, co the old covenant points to the cross. It points to the coming of Jesus, right? Where Jesus is going to be that lamb that is slain, the shedding of the blood of the lamb, right? And we see the first, the first I guess, uh, you know, in the book of Exodus, with, with, with the, the blood being poured or spread upon the doorpost, right? That's the first sign of the shedding of the blood of the lamb, right? But, but God told Abram way back here in the book of Genesis at the very beginning that, you know, there's coming a time when we won't sacrifice the lamb, animals. That lamb's going to be my son. It's going to be Jesus. So everything from the Old Testament points to the coming of Jesus in the New Testament. It points to the cross, to the redemption and the shedding of the blood of the Lamb, right? And we know that to be the lion from the tribe of Judah, which is Jesus Christ, who is a descendant from King David, right? So the greatest commandment here, going back to this verse, right? The, this is the first and greatest commandment, Jesus says. In other words, this greatest commandment simply means this, that this is the best outcome or the best influence for you and your life. Now, he answers the question. But in verse 39, he's going to continue on. And he says this. And the second is like this. So this man, this rabbi, this teacher, this scholar of the law, he asks Jesus a question, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus answers, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, right? But love what? He says this, Jesus goes on and says, love your neighbor as yourself in verse 39. So Jesus right here is showing us something, right? He's showing us that these two commandments are foundational for the law of the Torah and also for the prophets, right? So we see that this law and what he said about it, about loving God, about loving your neighbor, it expresses the very essence, right, of the Bible and what God's revelation is for us. This is why it's so important that we just don't cast aside the Torah. Why? Because the Torah teaches us of God's expectations. It teaches that we are people that should love God, right? And because of this, See, if you know God and you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then obviously you're going to love your neighbor. See, the Holy Spirit lives inside of each and every one of us, even unbelievers. But the difference is that you got to open that door for the Holy Spirit to work in your life, to work through you. And many people, right, they don't do that. They don't allow the Holy Spirit to, to anoint them, so to speak, right? They don't allow the Holy Spirit to move in their life. So all of us have that in us. It's a matter of opening that door. See, Jesus is knocking and saying, I want to come into your life, right? I want to make a difference in your life. I want you to do my will and my purpose that I have for you because I want to bless you. I want to give you my favor, right? You see, if we love God, then we will love our neighbor and we will have a positive influence in their life, right? You see, 
if I want to be a vessel for God, in other words, I want God to use me, right? Then he's going to have to bring a change to me in a positive way. And he wants to do that for me, but I got to let him in my heart. I got to open that door and let him in. Because Jesus wants us being a good disciple of his to go and spread the good news in this dark world, right? You go back to the disciples 2,000 years ago. What Jesus told them to do, go spread the word of God. Spread, let people know who I am. Let people know about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Well, in 2,000 years, nothing has changed because Jesus wants us because we are his disciples. You see, if you're a believer in Christ, then you are a follower of Christ, which means you are a disciple of Christ. And Christ wants us to be a light, to be that beacon that shines in this dark world to make a positive influence for his kingdom. In other words, to enlarge the kingdom of God. And that's really what we was put on this earth for. See, when God made the Garden of Eden, that was heaven. It was heaven. But then sin came into this world. And when sin came into this world, disease and death and so forth, right? Then that's when he had to send his son, eventually Jesus, to the cross, the shedding of the blood and redemption, so we can have a chance to be saved. We can have a chance to be in this kingdom of God. But we need to invite the Holy Spirit in our heart in order to move that way, right? Because Jesus is calling us to be that bright light in this dark world. Verse 40. All of the law and all of the prophets, Jesus says, hangs on these two commandments. So what he's saying here, you can take everything that's recording in the law. You can take everything that's recording in the Torah, in the Tanakh, in the, whole, in the Hebrew Bible, Old Hebrew Bible. You can take anything that's recording in the prophets, he's saying. And you can take that as truth. And you can go back to these first two commandments. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And you might say, why? Because they summarize the will and the purposes of God for our life. God wants me to love him. And I demonstrate my love for God and my love for Jesus by loving my neighbor. Right? It is because I love God, right, that I want to be a blessing for my neighbor. A blessing for other people. To bring about God's purpose, God's will in his or her life, right? This is why, and this is what Jesus tells us we should do, being a good disciple. Now, notice, when this happens, they don't have a response to Jesus. They don't have an answer because this is the word of God. This is the truth of God. See, Jesus always quotes Scripture. He always, you know, he always chooses and, and quotes the Word of God, so to speak, the truth of God. And he's doing the same thing here, and they have nothing to say here. So, they have nothing to say, so they gather together, so to speak. And, and they listen to what, all what Jesus is saying, and as they gather together, they draw a little closer to him. And Jesus is going to take advantage of this in verse 41. See, up until this time, Jesus always did miracles to show that he was the Messiah. Everywhere he went, Jesus healed people, right? I mean, he, he, we read it through the, out the whole book of Matthew. Just go read the Gospels and you'll see the miracles that Jesus did. But all of that points to the prophets and what the prophets said he would do, 
So when he would do a miracle, Jesus would tell people, shh, don't tell them who I am. In other words, you can say Jesus was hiding, so to speak, in the scriptures. But now, he's not hiding, right? And you might say, why Jesus was hiding in the scriptures? Because if Jesus came onto the scene and just told everybody he was the Messiah, they wouldn't believe him anyway. So what Jesus did, Jesus didn't say anything at first. That's why when Jesus did a miracle and people would cry out, the son of David, Jesus would say, shh, don't tell nobody, it's me. Because Jesus wanted to show them through miracles, just like the prophets had said was going to happen. But right now, in verse 41, Jesus is going to take advantage of a situation and Jesus is going to ask a very important questions to the Pharisees who know and study the prophets. So verse 41 says this, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, Now, they're drawn closer to Jesus, right? And I believe this is very, very important right here. Because they had heard how he answered all the questions. They had no answer because he spoke the truth. He spoke the word of God. And for the first time, they was drawing closer to him. And Jesus asked this question in verse 42. Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Now, Jesus is asking them a question here. He wants to know what they think about the Messiah and whose son is he? Now, Jesus knew what they was going to answer, right? Now, we know who the Messiah is in Christianity. We know that Jesus came and he took on, he's, he's took on two roles. The first role has already been fulfilled. He came as that suffering servant, right, that was pierced. He came for the redemption of blood so we can have a chance at salvation, so we can have a chance to enter into that kingdom of heaven, into that kingdom of God. And we know that he's going to come back at the end times to save the nation of Israel, to save the Jews. And he's coming back with believers, with the saints, the church, which is us, believers in Christ, right? We know that. That's the role of Messiah. But you see in Judaism, again, He's speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees and the disciples. They're all Jewish people. So we need to put ourselves into a Jewish culture, into a Jewish perspective, so to speak. You need to know the background about the Jewish nation and the Jewish people and what they believed. We know that everywhere Jesus went, people would cry out, Son of David, that believed when he did miracles. Right? Son of David, Son of David. Why did they say that? Because in Judaism, they believe in two messiahs. Right? Let me kind of explain it to you how I was taught it. It's, it's, it's two messiahs. The first messiah being, I guess, lowercase m. And the second messiah being the uppercase m. The first messiah being the lowercase m would be Messiah, son of Joseph. In other words, Messiah ben David, uh, ben Joseph. Meaning that was going to be an ancestor from Joseph. Joseph that we studied in the book of Exodus, right? In the book of Genesis, in the, in, in, in the, you know, goes on to the book of Exodus until he dies off, right? Joseph was right with God. Joseph, although he was sold into slavery, he was thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, right? He was jailed for 14 years. 
You would think that Joseph, because he had a rough life, that he would kind of give up on God. But instead of giving up on God, he knew that God had a plan and a purpose for what was happening in his life. Right? And he didn't give up on God. He drew closer to God is what he did. Which teaches us a lesson that, you know, no matter what we go through in this life, right? Some of us right now may be going through some horrible times. And I don't know your situation, but you feel like you're trapped, you're entrapped, and you can't get out of it. You feel like you're in the pit, just like Joseph was, right? But draw closer to God like Joseph. Because God has a plan and a purpose for why you're going through that hard time, right? Why you're going through heartaches, so to speak. You just got to trust in God. Because that's just the season, just like it was with Joseph. And that season's coming to an end. Right? And I always, I, I refer to this often. You're in a winter season. In a winter season, what happens to leaves on a tree? They fall. It looks like the leaves are dead. It looks like the tree's dead. But just around the corner comes spring. It becomes new life. It becomes a new birth, so to speak. This is the perspective that Joseph had. No matter what the, the devil and Satan and life threw at him, right? The world threw at him. What did Joseph do? He drew closer to God. He prayed more, right? He spent time with God more, more time with God, searching God and seeking God, right? And, and he, God anointed him. And God would speak to Joseph in dreams. And one particular dream, he dreams that there's going to be a huge famine that's going to take place worldwide. Now, again, the world was just in the Middle East. And Joseph at this time was second in command of Egypt just under Pharaoh. Pharaoh loved Joseph. He trusted Joseph. Although Pharaoh believed in many gods because that's what the Egyptians did. They believed in 20-something gods. Pharaoh knew that the God that Joseph served, the God of I Am, our God, right? El Shalom, right? Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, that God, that he was a true God because he seen God working through Joseph. And God sent Joseph a dream that there was going to be a famine in the world. That Joseph, what he had to do was stockpile grain. So what Joseph did was he went to Pharaoh and told Pharaoh this dream that there's going to be seven year drought. Now this was seven years before the drought. Pharaoh says, Joseph, you in charge of the project. And what Joseph did was Joseph built warehouses throughout Egypt. And he stockpiled grain. For seven years throughout Egypt. And sure enough, famine hit. And the whole world was affected. And people from all over the Middle East traveled to Egypt to buy grain. So we see that Joseph is a dichotomy, you can say, of Jesus. Right? Because Joseph saved the world. Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And we're all sinners. Because we all fall short of the glory of God. Right? But through the redemption of blood, through believing that Jesus was the Messiah, that He died and on the third day He rose again, we can be redeemed. We can be saved. Right? So we see that a picture of Joseph is pointing to Jesus. Again, the Old Testament points to what Jesus in the New Testament. Right? So, so we see that Joseph save the world. Jesus came to save sinners in this world, right? So, so they believe in two messiahs. 
Messiah ben Yosef and Messiah ben David. Now, from a Judaism standpoint, this Messiah ben Joseph, the son of Joseph, right? It's lowercase and it's lowercase Messiah. Why? Because they don't put too much emphasis on him. Really what they want is Messiah, son of David, to come. So this Messiah ben Joseph, son of Joseph, he's going to come onto the scene at the battle of Gog and Magog. That's what the Jews believe. And we know that the battle of Gog and Magog will happen because the prophet Ezekiel talks about that in chapters 38 and 39 in the book of Ezekiel. And the Jews believe this, that this leader, so we can say that Messiah, son of Joseph, will be a general, will be a prime minister, will be a leader of the nation of Israel. And he, he's going to be the leader in charge when the ten nations, that's what the book of Ezekiel says, the prophet Ezekiel, ten nations going to form an alliance at the end times. And they're going to come down from the north, from Russia. So we know that Russia is one of them empires that's going to team up with nine other empires in the Middle East, so to speak, and they're going to come, and the United States is not one of them. So I want you to understand, the United States at this time is either we don't exist or we under the oppression or under slavery, under the control of another country. That's, that's in the Bible. The United States is never mentioned in the Bible. So, so them ten nations are going to join together a truce, and they're going to come down and attack Israel. And this leader, whoever he is, right, he's going to die in a battle. And the Jews are going to repent. And when the Jews repent, that's when Messiah, son of David, will appear. Now that's Judaism, where he's going to save the Jews that's what the Jewish nation believes, that he's going to save the Jews and that he's going to set up the eternal kingdom of God. Now, some of that, what they're saying is correct, but they have it wrong because there's not two messiahs. There's only one messiah and it's Jesus Christ of Nazareth, right? He's the real messiah. In Christianity, this is really what the Bible says and how it's going to happen. At the end times, the battle of Gog and Magog will happen. That's destined to happen. It has to happen in order for the eternal kingdom to be set up. Right? And I believe that the leader of Israel will be killed. That's what the Bible says. But what's going to happen is this. This empire is going to rise up. And it's not going to be a Muslim empire that's going to come to the defense of Israel. Because Islam hates the Jewish people. They hate them. They want to destroy them. They want to annihilate them. They want to kill them. They want to take them off the face of the earth. It's going to be somebody from a European nation. The beast. And the beast simply means empire. This empire will rise up. And this leader, which we know is going to be the Antichrist. At first, he does come to the defense of the Jewish people. He does save Israel. He forms a peace agreement, a seven-year peace treaty. Seven years, meaning seven-year tribulation. And he forms this peace treaty with the nation of Israel. And Israel thinks this is the Messiah, son of David, that has come to save them. And for the first three and a half years of the seven-year peace treaty, this leader, 
the who we know it as the beast, the Antichrist, right? Of this beast, of this empire. This leader called the Antichrist will defend Israel. And I believe he's going to build a temple for Israel and allow the Jewish people to go back and sacrifice in the temple. That's what the Bible says. But at the three and a half year mark, the abomination, the abomination of desolation happens. And what is that? This is when this leader, this Antichrist, goes into the temple. More specifically, he goes into the Holy of Holies. And he declares himself Lord. And he stops all worship. He stops all sacrifice of animals. And he tells the Jewish people, you worship me and only me. And the Bible says that there's going to be a remnant from the nation of Israel that's going to realize that they were fooled, that they were wrong, that they had been deceived. You see, the Antichrist is controlled by who? Satan, the devil. And we know that Satan is the deceiver of lies. He's a deceiver, right? He's the father of lies, the father of deceit. And he fooled the Jewish people. But there's going to be a remnant, the Bible says, that's going to realize this. And the Bible says immediately when this happens, they're going to realize it and they're going to flee. And we're going to talk about this in, in, in Matthew chapters 24, 23, and 24 coming up. But they flee to the wilderness. And I believe they flee to Petra, which is modern-day Jordan today. And the Bible says there God will Protect them. Just like God protected them in Egypt. Right? He's going to protect this remnant that's left over in the last three and a half years when the wrath of God is poured onto this earth. And the Bible says, you know, it's going to be one of the worst events to ever take place in the world. Right? And you don't want to be there for that time. You need to be a believer. Because if you're a believer... You're going to be raptured up and you're not going to be there when the wrath of God comes. And I'm going to show you that in Matthew 24 when we get to it. I'm going to point out scripture that backs what I'm saying up, right? So, so we see that they believe in two messiahs, but we know that that's not the case. Messiah, son of Joseph. Messiah, son of David. But we know that they're going to be fooled because this son of David, who they think is the messiah, is really not. He's the antichrist. Right? That's in that that overrules over this beast, this empire that eventually is going to rule over this one world government that's being formed. He's going to be the leader, right? So so we see here that the battle of Gog and Magog will happen. And we know that this leader of Israel is going to be killed. And we know that this Antichrist, who the Jews believe is going to be the son of David, is going to come up and gonna try to save the nation, but he doesn't. Because at the three and a half year mark, what happens? He turns on the Jewish people, right? So verse 43, going back to scripture, the lesson for the day. Verse 43 says this. He said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, so Jesus knew exactly what they would say when he asked them, who's the Messiah and whose son is he? And they say, son of David. And I just explained to you why. So Jesus tells them here, well, if it's David, 
He's speaking by the Spirit. And David calls him Lord. In other words, Jesus goes back and he quotes Scripture again. And Jesus is quoting from the book of Psalms. Psalm 110. And Psalm 110.1 says this in verse 44. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So David wrote this, right? Because David was under the leadership and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. See, David knew that Jesus was present with God back from the very beginning. Because God revealed that to David. Why do I say that? Because in the scripture of Psalm 110.1, it says, The Lord said to my Lord, the first Lord means God, said to my Lord, this is speaking here of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Again, there was never a time that Jesus didn't exist. He was always with God, right? So God said to his Messiah, in other words, God said to his son Jesus, that's what he's saying here, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. This is speaking of the end times. So David, this is prophetic. God showed David that Jesus, the Spirit, was always with God, but eventually at the end, that God would allow those enemies to be under Jesus' feet so Jesus could stomp them. He's speaking about those ten nations at the end. When Jesus comes back, because you see what's going to happen is this, they're going to flee to Petra, and the remnant that's left, the believers are going to realize they were deceived, they were fooled, and they're going to start to repent, and they're going to start to cry out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they must say that, the Bible says. They're going to say those words because that is Scripture. The Jewish people believe in that. They recite that. And at the end times, they're going to recite it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when Jesus hears that from heaven, the heavens will open up and Jesus will be coming back on a white horse with the church and Jesus will step foot on the Mount of Olives and when he steps foot on the Mount of Olives the Bible says that mountain will move and when that mountain splits there's going to be a valley that's formed and when the valley forms Jesus is going to condemn the evilness of this world he's going to lock up Satan for a thousand years and that valley is going to usher in the thousand year millennial reign of Jesus on this earth. And we being believers, we being the saints, will rule with an iron fist with Jesus on this earth for a thousand years. And at the end of the thousand year millennial reign, Satan's going to be released again. He's going to run rampant on this earth one last time. Jesus will allow him to do that. Until finally, Jesus is going to throw him in the abyss, into the pit of hell. And that's when the white throne judgment happens, right? So going back to our verse, Jesus is telling them right here. He's showing them, right, that David is, is not who they think he is. Yeah, David's a warrior. And, the, and from David, the lineage of David came the Messiah 
But Jesus is saying, I'm here. It's me. You need to believe that I am the Messiah, right? Look at verse 45. If then David calls him Lord, this is what Jesus says. How can he be his son? So Jesus is saying, yeah, that's a descendant of David who's the Messiah. But what, what, what Jesus is telling him here, what David said, all points to the divinity of Jesus. See, Jesus is fully man, but he's fully God. He's God in the flesh. He's the eternal Son of God. Right? There never was a time that, God, that Jesus didn't exist with God. You see, if you don't believe in the divinity of Jesus, then you really don't know the true Messiah. You can't know God without knowing Jesus. Because John 14, 6 says the only way to get to the Father is through who? Jesus. I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but who? Through me. Jesus said that. So the only way to know God is to know Jesus. It's to have a relationship with Jesus. The only one that can save you is Jesus, right? There's, there's nobody that can... A Bible teacher can't save you. A minister can't save you. A priest can't save you. A religion can't... Jesus is the only one that can save you. A relationship with Him. That's why it's very important to know Him. To do His will. To do His purpose. Right? So we see that Jesus here is being foundational. He's telling the truth. And we need to have the right understanding about really who He is. Because Jesus is telling them here, it's me. I am the Messiah. And you need to get it right. You need to see all the miracles I did. Everything that I've done. I'm speaking the truth of God. I'm quoting scripture, right? I'm pointing out to you what David says about the Spirit. About the pointing of the Messiah. That I am here and you need to recognize me for who I am. Last verse for today, verse 46. When Jesus says all these things, look, at the, look what the Bible says. No one can say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one there to ask him any more questions. You see, they couldn't say anything because really what Jesus did, he revealed to them who he was. And really he backed it up with scripture about his true identity of who really he was. And we know his true identity is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Messiah. He is the one that was pierced, that hung on that tree for our sins. So we can be redeemed. So we can have a chance at eternal life. We really know that He is the true Messiah. And we need to know Him personally. Why? So we can be that good disciple. So we can be that bright light in this dark world. Amen? So with that being said, we'll be back next week. And we'll be starting a new chapter in Matthew 23. Until next week. Y'all have a blessed week and we love you guys. God bless.